Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our group learning program and we're starting a four-part series where I'll be sharing with you loving-kindness meditation. We're going to be discussing what loving-kindness meditation is, why we do it, and actually how to do it. And we'll probably be doing a loving-kindness meditation session together today as part of our class. So I'd like to welcome you to our group learning program and invite you to learn and grow with these teachings from the Buddha. In the past month, I started with a four-part series on breathing mindfulness meditation. We restarted our group learning program last month and we went through and I helped you learn breathing mindfulness meditation. And I helped you to understand what that's about and why we actually do breathing mindfulness meditation and actually how to do it. So if you've been doing that work on your own, you should be building up your practice to two or three meditation sessions a day 30 minutes or more. And you may not be there right now, and that's completely fine. Some people take six months, even a year, to build up to that point. So just take your time and move at your own pace. But now it's time to bring in loving kindness meditation and help you to learn what loving kindness meditation is, why we do it, and actually how to do it. So as I mentioned, I shared with you breathing mindfulness meditation as part of our previous classes. We did a four-part series, and this is a primary form of meditation that the Buddha taught in order to help the mind eliminate craving, desire, attachment, because that's what's causing the mind to be discontent. That's what's causing the anger, sadness, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy, all of these discontent feelings and others are being caused from that mental longing with a strong eagerness. So when we're in breathing mindfulness meditation and the mind's moving off the breath, not being content in the present moment, then we bring the mind back to the breath and this helps to train the mind to more easily let go. And that style of meditation is also cultivating mindfulness or awareness of mind where the mind can reside in the present moment. And this was a primary form of meditation that the Buddha taught because it's the primary problem that's causing the discontentedness in the mind. There's these three poisons or these three unwholesome roots or these three fires that we're going to be talking about as part of chapter eight when we get there. So I'm building you up to get your practice underway so that as I slowly and gradually share these teachings with you, helping you to understand what the challenges are in the unenlightened mind, that you already have some of those solutions underway as you start learning more and more about what those challenges and difficulties are. 
So in that breathing mindfulness meditation, you're eliminating craving, desire, attachment. You're cultivating mindfulness or awareness of mind, as well as cultivating concentration or the practice of singleness of mind, where you're focused on a single object like the breath. And then this helps you in daily life that as you go out in life and you're experiencing various things, you have this awareness of the mind, you have this concentration or singleness of mind, and then you're easily able to let things go as things come up in the mind. And as you develop your practice over a consistent long-term period of time, you'll observe how the condition of the mind is gradually improving and these qualities of mind that you're practicing in meditation will become more profound and you'll be able to use them more in daily life. It's just like an athlete. They're not a professional athlete from day one. So if you've just started meditating in this way in the last four weeks or so, you're not an expert yet. You're not a professional yet. But obviously a lot of people tend to put pressure on themselves to be an expert at meditation right away. But there's nothing that we've ever learned and became an expert at it right away. So it's going to take time for you to gradually build up this practice and gradually accumulate the benefits and see the actual results. Well, the second form of meditation that the Buddha taught that was really important and he prioritized it in terms of the meditations that he taught because he taught four primary styles of meditation. This loving-kindness meditation that I'm going to share with you today is to eliminate anger, hatred, ill will, and all the lesser versions of that. So we talk about it as anger, hatred, ill will in this three poisons or these three unwholesome roots or these three fires because it helps you to elicit what that is. This bitterness, this hostility, this resentment that's in the mind, this aggressiveness. But there's these lesser versions too, like when the mind's frustrated or irritated or annoyed. You wouldn't say that you were angry when you were annoyed, but it's coming from the same problem, which I'm going to describe to you in chapter eight when we get there. And then we're cultivating loving kindness for all beings in meditation. So we're bringing in this loving kindness and cultivating that and moving out this anger so that now in daily life, our intention, speech, and actions emanate from this loving kindness. So I would like to just share with you more details on what loving kindness is so that you'll understand this. And then we're going to move into discussing the words of the Buddha so that you aren't believing anything that I say, but instead you can see what the Buddha shares in his teachings. And then you don't even believe his teachings or what I say, but instead you can practice this and see the truth for yourself, that it is working to improve the condition of the mind. And you'll notice that the anger and hostility just starts to slowly diminish over time. So what is loving kindness? Well, you're going to learn about loving kindness as part of chapter 14, which is titled the four healthy mental states. There's going to be four individual healthy mental states that I share there that need to be cultivated in the mind in order to move the mind to enlightenment. But here, let's talk about loving kindness so that you understand that. This is active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. This is where you have this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. And you're not judging other beings and deciding who you think deserves your goodwill or who deserves what you are trying to share with them in terms of this active goodwill. But you're just treating all beings with this active goodwill without judging them and having this genuine interest in seeing them be well. 
Because if there's anger or hatred or ill will in the mind, that's going to come out through your intentions, your speech, and your actions. Sometimes we think that we're really good and really slick at hiding those things, but you can't hide those things. They actually come out in our intentions, our speech, and our actions. So when we eliminate the anger, hatred, and ill will from the mind, and then we have this loving kindness, now our intentions, speech, and actions will emanate from that. And you'll be able to interact in the world and have very harmonious relationships, both personally and professionally. This loving kindness is the antidote or the wholesome root or the remedy for anger, hatred, ill will. When you learn about those three poisons or the three unwholesome roots or the three fires, you'll see that the Buddha explains the problem and he also explains the solution and how to solve these or how to transform the mind. So loving kindness is going to help you to address the major problem that's in the unenlightened mind and transform it to this loving kindness where you can eliminate this bitterness and hostility, this resentment that's in the mind. So let me pause here and see what questions you guys might have about anything that I've shared so far. The way that you can ask questions is put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Or in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions that you like. Um, Yes, Teacher David. When we're practicing loving kindness meditation, are we trying to change the beings that we are thinking about, or are we trying to change the way that our mind thinks about these beings and how we interact with them, sir? Yeah, it's the latter. It's changing your mind so that now through eliminating the pollution of anger, hatred, and ill will, now as you interact in the world, you're interacting in a way that is harmless. Back to right intention is we're interested in practicing harmlessness and non-ill will. Where in meditation, there's nothing that we can actually do to change other people. If we were able to do that, there would be no such thing as murders and rapes and prisons because we could all just meditate and everybody would be loving and kind and friendly and warm. But each person has to do the work themselves to eradicate these pollutions or these taints or these unwholesome qualities and then cultivate these wholesome qualities. And loving kindness meditation is a significant aspect of one's practice because if the mind is unenlightened, there's going to be some degree of anger, hatred, and ill will in there all the way up until you get to the third stage of enlightenment. And then the fourth stage is when the mind's actually enlightened. So even in the first and second stage of enlightenment, there's still some degree of ill will in the mind. So this is a practice that you'll need to cultivate and that it'll be with you for quite a while in order to transform your mind rather than try to transform other people's minds. Sometimes people think that loving kindness meditation is to transform others or almost like a prayer that you're trying to change others through your meditation, but that's not what we're actually doing here. We're working on our mind. In fact, this entire practice of getting to enlightenment is all about your practice and developing your mind. It's not about changing other people because changing other people isn't going to fix the pollutions that are in the unenlightened mind or in your mind. Thank you, sir. Um, Also, when we're doing loving kindness meditation, should we focus solely on other people or can we also focus on animals, insects, things like that, that we may have aversion to or kind of negative feelings towards? 
Yeah, you'll see when we get to the part where we're describing the meditation that you're going to start with yourself and then you get to all beings. So the answer to your question is yes, you can include animals in there because what you're looking to do is you're looking to cultivate loving kindness, this active goodwill, this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well for all beings, including yourself and others, human beings, animals, all beings. In fact, one of the ways that I've done loving kindness meditation in the past is actually go through the various realms of hell, animal realm, afflicted spirits, human and heavenly realm, and being sure to cultivate the loving kindness for all these beings in all these different realms. Thank you, sir. Uh, It does not appear that there are any more questions at this time. All right. Let's go ahead and move forward. And let me help you to see where the Buddha's teachings that I exposed you to and shared with you as part of the Eightfold Path are actually connecting loving kindness into those. Because if you remember the Eightfold Path and the way that the Buddha shares it and the way that I shared it with you is that it is the path to enlightenment. And you would need to ultimately understand the path to enlightenment backwards, forwards, left and right, like it's the back of your hand. And that Eightfold Path is the core central path, the core central teaching that the Buddha is teaching and helping you to get to enlightenment. So here I'm going to show you where loving kindness and this cultivation of loving kindness plugs into that Eightfold Path and helping you to get to enlightenment. Because without that Eightfold Path, you wouldn't be able to experience enlightenment. And now what you'll see is that without loving kindness and loving kindness meditation and cultivating that and practicing it in daily life, you wouldn't be able to experience enlightenment. And that's why the Buddha incorporates it into the Eightfold Path as this teaching that plugs into it. So there's those eight steps as part of the Eightfold Path that goes from right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. But as part of the second step, which is right intention, the Buddha teaches, and there's a place here where loving kindness plugs into it. Right intention is also sometimes translated as right thinking or right thought, because you're having the certain intentions or the thoughts or the thinking, cultivating the inner mind to think in a certain way. And the three aspects of right intention or right thinking is The intention of renunciation, which is the intention or the thought or the thinking of being willing to let things go, because what's in the unenlightened mind, there's all kinds of opinions and views and perceptions that is holding the mind back from being able to experience enlightenment. So a practitioner who's actually going to get to enlightenment as they progress need to get comfortable and willing to let certain things go in the mind and no longer cling and hold on to our opinions, our views, and our perceptions. The mind also has to be willing to let go of certain things that we're holding on to. If we're holding on to harmful things that we're doing in the world, like perhaps we're using illicit drugs or we're aggressive with our conduct in certain ways, we have to have the intention of letting that go or renunciation or relinquishment. And then here's where loving kindness plugs into right intention. There's this intention of non-ill will. Non-ill will is the same as saying goodwill. So the intention of goodwill. And that's what loving kindness is, is this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. So cultivating the mind where it has this goodwill, 
where you're interested in seeing all beings be well. And then the third aspect of right intention is the intention of harmlessness, where you're not interested in being harmful to other beings, because if you're harmful to other beings, that harm is going to come back to you. So it's important to ensure that you're being harmless, because that's what's going to allow you to then practice in a way with your speech, your actions, and other things to ensure that you're not causing harm to others. Because any harm that you're causing to others is only going to come back to you. And then here in right speech, which is the third step of the Eightfold Path, in the Eightfold Path itself, the Buddha just primarily talks about things like not gossiping or slandering or lying or having harsh speech or frivolous speech. That's the Eightfold Path by itself. But then there's these other teachings that he amplifies and deepens your understanding of what right speech is. And one of those teachings is the five factors of well-spoken speech. And we talked about this where it's speaking at the right time, what you say is true, you speak gently, speak beneficially, and with a mind of loving kindness. And there's teachings in this book, volume one, that I explain which each one of those factors are so that you can then build up your practice to be able to practice those more and more closely. Well, this fifth factor is spoken with a mind of loving kindness, this active goodwill, this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. And if you're missing this particular factor in your speech, it's going to cause harm to others. So we could speak at the right time. We could say something that's true. We could speak gently. We could speak beneficially. And then if we don't have that loving kindness, maybe there's some sarcasm. Maybe there's some interest to kind of push someone's buttons or say something sharp, you know, that's going to not emanate from this loving kindness. All the other factors could be there in your speech. But if you don't have this fifth factor, which is a mind of loving kindness, then you're going to be causing harm and therefore harm's going to come back to you. So cultivating this loving kindness in your meditation and then practicing it in your daily life through your intentions and speech and then ultimately your actions and other things as well is really important for you to knock down any harm that you're causing to other beings so that there your harm isn't coming back to you. And then some other teachings from the Buddha that I drew out of all of his different teachings. And he speaks about loving kindness in many different places, but just enough to help you see what he's talking about here and why we need to be practicing loving kindness meditation and cultivating that in the mind and then practicing it in daily life is here he's talking to his ordained practitioners about speech. And he was actually talking about the five factors of well-spoken speech. And he was talking about what those five factors are and that not all beings are going to speak to us with those five factors because our goal is to improve our practice so that we're practicing in a way that is using those five factors and that we're not causing any harm. But because of this universal truth of impermanence, even as an enlightened being, there's going to be situations where people still talk to you in a hateful way or in a harsh way or using the very opposites of the five factors of well-spoken speech. So the Buddha was talking here prior to this, what I'm going to share with you, about how other beings could potentially use the five factors of well-spoken speech with us, but they could also speak in just the opposite way as well. And when they speak in the opposite way, when they do speak something that is 
untimely, untruthful, harsh, unbeneficial, and with a mind of inner hate, the Buddha shares what we should be doing in our practice when we encounter that hateful speech or any of those other ways that people might be speaking in ways that are harmful. And he says, herein, monks, you should train thus. Our minds will remain unaffected, and we shall utter no evil words. We shall reside compassionate for their welfare, with a mind of loving kindness, without inner hate. We shall reside enveloping that person with a mind filled with loving kindness, and starting with him, we shall reside enveloping the all-encompassing world with a mind filled with loving kindness, abundant, joyful, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. That is how you should train monks. So here he's giving guidance that when people are speaking in harmful ways to us, we need to train our minds to remain unaffected. And that's really challenging early in practice. And that's what this whole path is about, is that these things that are going on in the world while people may be out there doing harmful things, you can actually train your mind where it's unaffected by what other people are choosing to do. But if you continue to utter evil words in situations where people are being evil and harmful to you, it's just like taking a rubber ball and bouncing it around the room. That person who's coming at you and arguing with harsh and evil words, they're taking the ball and they're throwing it and it's bouncing around the room. And then when it loses its energy, when they're kind of done arguing, so to speak, then if you pick up the ball and now you throw it around the room, you start arguing with them back, it's just going to keep this argument going back and forth, back and forth and back and forth. But the way that you extinguish this, the way that you eliminate this, the way that you eliminate people's interests to argue with you is that when people are being harsh and aggressive with you, you don't return that back. See, that's counterintuitive to what we understand in the unenlightened state. Typically, if somebody's attacking us, we're going to attack them. This is our animal instincts. But becoming a better human being, when this human being is talking harsh and aggressive to you, you have options. You don't have to talk harsh and aggressive back because that's just going to keep this going for longer and longer periods of time. You can actually choose to walk away. You can choose to remain quiet. You can choose to move on from the relationship and choose that this is someone that you're no longer interested in being in a relationship with. We have choices. And if we have cultivated a mind filled with loving kindness, then it makes it easier for us to then have compassion for the welfare of other beings and to be able to now respond to the situation with wisdom rather than react out of hostility and aggression. When we've cultivated loving kindness in the mind, we can respond with loving kindness rather than with hate and just keep this ball bouncing around in the room. Some additional teachings that the Buddha shared along the lines of loving kindness really get to the heart of what it is that we're going to be discussing and helping you to learn, where here he's actually specifically talking about loving-kindness meditation and practicing loving-kindness in daily life. This first line, he's talking to his son, Rahula. Oftentimes people think that the Buddha left 
his family and, you know, never came back and never helped them and kind of just walked away from them and turned his back on his family. But this isn't actually true. He went away for six years to train his own mind and do this inner work. But then he came back and actually spent time around the area where his family was. And often what we saw is that his family was actually joining him to be ordained. His son, his wife, lots of his cousins, even his stepmother, because his mom died when he was very young, that even his stepmother came and joined and ordained with him. And all these people were getting to enlightenment during the Buddha's lifetime. So here we've got a teaching from the Buddha being directed towards his son, Rahula. He says, Rahula, develop meditation on loving kindness. For when you develop meditation on loving kindness, any ill will will be abandoned. So here you see the way that a fully perfectly enlightened Buddha speaks is it's just very clear, very direct. We don't need to interpret his words. We don't need to figure out what he was saying. We don't have to decipher, you know, what is the real teaching here? He just says it very clearly. Develop meditation on loving kindness. For when you develop meditation on loving kindness, any ill will will be abandoned. So that's what I'm going to share with you guys is how to develop meditation on loving kindness so that as you develop meditation on loving kindness, you can eliminate this anger, hatred, and ill will. That's what will be abandoned from the mind. And then here's another little excerpt from his larger teachings. Loving kindness should be developed to abandon ill will. This is cultivating loving kindness in the mind and then practicing it in daily life. We can't just cultivate loving kindness in meditation and then go outside and be harsh and aggressive and hostile with people. You're never going to get to enlightenment this way. You can't meditate your way to enlightenment. Meditation is an important component of our life practice, but you need to not only be meditating, but then that's what the rest of the Eightfold Path is there for, so that you know what else you need to be doing as part of your daily life in terms of cleaning up your intentions, your speech, your actions, your livelihood, and other things in order to practice in daily life. So your life practice is something that you're developing and cultivating during all waking hours of your day. So you're meditating two or three times a day what you would like to build up to, but then in your daily life, you're also practicing the teachings that where you observe that you're interacting with people and you might see and observe that you're being a bit harsh or unkind, you might apologize and train the mind to be restrained and cut that off. And over time, more and more, you'll have gained control over the mind where it won't have this bitterness and this hostility, and you'll just be loving and kind to all beings around you. This next one is another teaching that the Buddha shared around loving kindness and loving kindness meditation. He says, suppose they ask, but what friends is the reason unarisen anger does not arise and arisen anger is abandoned. So he's going to give you the reason why anger won't arise in the mind. And he's going to give you the reason why anger that is in the mind can be eliminated. So he's teaching you how to gain control over the mind so that you no longer experience this anger, hatred, and ill will. So suppose they ask, but what friends is the reason unarisen anger does not arise and arisen anger is abandoned. You should answer, 
the liberation of mind by loving kindness. For one who attends carefully to the liberation of the mind by loving kindness, unarisen anger does not arise and arisen anger is abandoned. This, friends, is the reason unarisen anger does not arise and arisen anger is abandoned. So it's loving kindness that antidotes and remedies or transforms the mind away from this anger, hatred, and ill will. And you can see it here in the words of the Buddha. And you'll see throughout the various resources that I share in these books that you can download for free, there's a reference where you can go back to the original source text and see that that's indeed what the Buddha was actually teaching. So now that you've learned this, you start reflecting on it and you start seeing how, yeah, this anger, this hatred, this bitterness, this hostility, the exact antidote to that would be to cultivate this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. And that is loving kindness. And you can reflect on that and you can see how that's true. But then the mind's probably not 100% convinced yet. So that's where you move things into practice. And we start practicing in a way to cultivate our meditation. We cultivate in meditation loving kindness. And then we practice these teachings of loving kindness in daily life so that then you can be polite, kind, friendly, and respectful to all beings. Because by you putting that out, that's what will come back to you. If you're putting out the bitterness, the hostility, the aggression, the impolite, unkind, unfriendly, and disrespectful way of being, if that's what you're putting out, that's what's going to come back to you. So here the Buddha is giving you that as an antidote and helping you see that very clearly in his teachings. And then we're going to move into practicing this loving kindness meditation so that you can cultivate this almost like filling up the gas tank and then going out in daily life so that then you can practice in such a way that the mind is infused or filled up with loving kindness. And then that'll be easier for you to now have your intention, speech, and actions emanate from loving kindness when the mind is cultivated that in meditation. It'll be much easier for you to now practice that in daily life. But before we start talking about the actual meditation itself, let me just pause and see if there's any questions on any of the words of the Buddha that you might need help with. The way that you can ask those questions is put them into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can electronically raise your hand in Zoom and ask any questions that you like. Um, yes, sir. Jen has her hand raised, so let's go to her. Thank you, Miranda. Thank you, Teacher David. Um, I live in a place that is legendary for rude drivers and horrendous traffic issues. Um, as you drive around Boston, Massachusetts, uh, people typically will cut you off. Some people will drive up on the sidewalk to get in front of you. <laughs> and people um, express a lot of anger if you don't um, move fast enough or you don't move slow enough or whatever. You get the finger, you get sworn at it. It can be a challenge, uh, in other words, to um, not get shaken up by this and to just kind of, you know, stay on an even keel while you're driving around. Um, so I feel that I'm used to it and loving kindness meditation has helped, but I still feel little twinges of like physical sensations when these things happen, when, you know, people cut me off or um, they lay on the horn. I've had people 
lower their window and throw cans at my window, at my windshield. It, you know, it's really kind of nuts sometimes. And it's hard not to get a little shaken up. So if you had any guidance, um, you know, I, I, I try to sometimes think about this during loving kindness meditation, but it's, I still feel like I don't know what's going to happen when I drive around and how I'm going to react. Sure. <laughs> Thank you. It's important to understand that you can't change other people. You know, their hatred in their mind, their craving to have you do things a certain way is arising their anger. And this is all because of their ignorance or the unknowing of true reality. All we can do is control our own mind. And that's where the Buddha, you know, shares to remain unaffected and have this loving kindness where you have compassion for their welfare. If you have this loving kindness and compassion for them, you can just see it as this person is really struggling in life and just have this overwhelming compassion and loving kindness for them. The only reason why the mind is going to have those bodily sensations is if the mind has craving, desire, attachment, then those bodily sensations are an indication that discontentedness is arising. So if you're aware of those bodily sensations, that's really good. That's part of the four foundations of mindfulness and something that you need to have awareness of so that when you see those bodily sensations arising, you can cut it off and let it go there and realize that you know nothing's going to happen to you. This is their anger. You can just continue to look ahead. You know, Don't look at them. Don't address what they're doing. Just continue to look ahead. You know, there's all kinds of people that drive all different kinds of ways. It would be wonderful if the entire world was peaceful, calm, serene, and consent with joy. That would be heaven on earth where all beings are enlightened. But we're not at that point and we won't be there for many generations to come. So because of impermanence, because there's an enormous amount of people in the world that do have craving, that do have anger, that do have this ignorance or unknowing of true reality, we're going to see things that we wouldn't choose to do as an individual. We wouldn't choose to do that thing, but other people are choosing to do it. And we need to look at it as this murkiness that I talk about with the lotus flower, that the world is full of this murky water and people are divulging into this murkiness and what you're trying to do is rise above that not in an arrogance or prideful or boastful way but you're not interested in doing those same things so you might see 99.9 percent of the people around you doing hateful and harmful things perhaps but you're choosing as an individual not to do that and you're not interested in allowing the mind to do those things so instead you're going to reside with this loving kindness and this compassion. If people are going to act out, let them act out. And you just maintain your security in terms of ensuring that you're driving in the way that you know that needs to drive. People's craving, they're going to crave for you to drive a certain way. And when you don't do that, their anger is going to arise. But you can just remain unaffected. And where you see those bodily sensations coming up, cut it off and cut it off and cut it off. And it requires enough time of this where eventually you don't have those feelings at all, that there's no discontentedness arising because there's no expectation in your mind that everybody should act a certain way. As long as you have a craving, desire, attachment, or a want or an expectation that others should act a certain way, then you're going to be discontent. 
But if you understand the universal truth of impermanence, you know it's not possible for everyone to act a certain way because that would be permanence. So by letting that go and realizing, hey, it would be wonderful if everyone was loving and kind and joyful and polite and respectful, but that's not the world that we live in. And you can't allow your mind to be shaken up anytime somebody else has anger or any kind of other unwholesome activity or certain moral conduct. Thank you, teacher. You're welcome. Yes, teacher David, on Zoom, Iona said, or asked, excuse me, um, I wanted to ask teacher David about how to let go of anger. Something recently has occurred where I got very angry at someone because I wanted them to leave me alone and they were just not letting me be, hence the anger. But it took me days to let it go. And even now, when I think about it, I feel anger bubbling. Is there a way of letting it go? I'm kind of thinking that in the grand scheme of things, this is insignificant. Thank you. Yeah, so there's no magic potion. There's no magic button. There's no way to snap your fingers and immediately let these things go right now because your practice needs to develop. As you develop and you get closer and closer to enlightenment, these things aren't going to affect the mind. So the way to eliminate what you're experiencing is the path to enlightenment. But all of that has to gradually come together. And over time, you gradually train the mind. It's a comprehensive approach. Oftentimes, people ask the question thinking that there's just this, you know, kind of one magic thing that I can do and it's going to magically let go of that anger, so to speak. Not that you've asked that, but sometimes people think that way, that that's how the Buddhist teachings are, is this plug and play, or, you know, take this pill and it's going to immediately get rid of whatever you're feeling, you know, and there's something in the Buddhist teachings to do that, but it's not. There's this gradual training that the mind needs to go through in order to gradually move the mind away from that anger and those fierce, strong feelings that might have arisen and how now it's affecting the condition of the mind more long term. That as you practice breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity, as you practice loving kindness meditation and practicing loving kindness in daily life, as you are building your wisdom about the Eightfold Path, building your moral conduct, building your mental discipline, slowly but surely, gradually working this path, You know how they have that saying in Western culture where they're like, make a plan and then work your plan, right? And that's where you get your results. Well, the Buddha's given us the perfect plan of how to experience enlightenment, how to eliminate something like anger and hatred and ill will. But now you've got to work that plan. And it's going to take some time to gradually learn, to gradually implement into your life and into your practice. And as you do, that's where you'll see the results and that's where you'll see the improvement because there's no magic way to just snap our fingers and let go of things that are occurring in our life and that are arising anger because the mind is an expert. The unrelated mind is an expert at holding on. That's what it does. It clings. It craves permanence. So it's holding on to things and it's not going to let go easily. It's like that bad tenant in the home that doesn't pay rent, that doesn't give any benefit. It's just holding on to dear life month after month after month, just not wanting to get kicked out. 
And that's what these pollutions of mind are doing is they're like that bad tenant. They're just holding on and holding on and holding on. And you've got to gradually wear them away and work them out of the mind. And as you do, you'll gradually see the mind awaken more and more where it'll come into this brilliance or this brightness or this radiance. And it just takes time of working that plan. It does not appear there are any other questions at this time, sir. All right. So let's look at loving kindness meditation and helping you guys understand how to do loving kindness meditation. So the way that you've seen me do meditation so far with breathing mindfulness meditation is we do this chant, which I'm going to teach you in a four part series when we get to the end of this four part series. We're going to do a four part series on chanting. So I do this chant. Then there's this breathing mindfulness meditation where we're focused on the breath. We're establishing the breath in and out through the nose. We're focusing on the breath. And then whenever the mind moves off the breath, we cut that off, let it go and come back to the breath. And then we end with a chant where now we're going to do loving kindness meditation, where we're still going to start with the chant. And we're even going to do a little bit of breathing mindfulness meditation for typically five to 10 minutes is what we do. But here in the first class of teaching you loving kindness meditation, I'll probably keep it on the shorter side. So we'll do this kind of shorter breathing mindfulness meditation just to kind of clear the mind of any clutter before we start moving into loving kindness meditation. Then we'll do loving kindness meditation. Then we'll go back to some breathing mindfulness to clear out the mind some more, and then we'll go back to the chant. In the middle there, this loving kindness meditation, what we're doing is we're doing these affirmations where I'm going to be saying these affirmations out loud. And then on the out breath, you repeat them in the mind. If you were doing this on your own, you would just do this quietly in your own mind. If I was doing this on my own, you wouldn't know if I was doing breathing mindfulness meditation or loving kindness meditation because everything's happening internal in the mind. But in this class, I'm going to be guiding you. So I'm going to be saying these affirmations out loud. And when you hear that affirmation, wherever you get to your next out breath, whenever that occurs, you just repeat that affirmation in the mind because your breath is going to be different than my breath. So as I say the words, may I be peaceful, then you repeat that in the mind as an affirmation, may I be peaceful. Then we're going to take a breath. And then when I get to my next out breath, I will say, may I be safe. But you do that wherever you get to your next out breath. You repeat that in the mind, may I be safe. And then may I be well. That's on the next out breath. And then may I be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. So there's these four affirmations that we repeat throughout the meditation. And we start with I. This I means this being that is meditating. So David, may David be peaceful. May David be safe. May David be well. May David be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. Because in order to have loving kindness for other beings, you need to first have loving kindness for yourself first. Because you need to cultivate that in the, in the mind. Because oftentimes there's negative self-talk or there's this diminishing dialogue where you're degrading yourself and diminishing yourself. And this is going to help you to eliminate that. So you no longer have that negative self-talk and that degrading of yourself going on in the mind. 
But again, it's going to take time. It's not going to happen in the first week or the first month. It takes time. That's your practice. So once we do this being, may I, then we create these successive rings getting wider and wider and wider until we get to all beings. And here today, I'm just going to do this simple meditation to get you guys started where we're just going to do these three rings. It's going to be, may I be peaceful? And we'll go through those four affirmations. And then it's going to be, may we, meaning those of us that are meditating together, be peaceful. And then it's going to be the next affirmation. May we be safe. May we be well. May we be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. And then we're going to do this third ring, which is may all beings be peaceful. May all beings be safe. May all beings be well. May all beings be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. So this is what we're going to do just as a really general meditation just to get you started. But in reality, you probably will not do these three rings like this because you need to be more specific than this in your meditation. This meditation is customized for each individual practitioner. So if there are certain people in your life that you currently have loving kindness for, maybe your parents or your siblings or your life partner, your children, whoever you have loving kindness for, you would like to include them in this meditation. So you cultivate and continue to develop and grow this loving kindness in the mind for those people that you don't allow that to fade. Then you might include some other people who maybe you're more neutral about, maybe certain friends or neighbors or people like this. And you would include them, make a specific ring for either those people or that group of people, right? So you might say, may Barbara be peaceful. Or you might say, may my friends be peaceful, meaning all of them, right? That's one specific ring. And then as you get going and you develop these rings further and further, you're going to need to include people who you currently have hatred for, who you currently have anger for. This is how you're going to transform it in the mind. That if there's people that either in your past or currently in your life now that you're harboring anger, hatred, and ill will for, you're going to hinder your own enlightenment as long as you hold on to that. It's not harming them. It's harming you. So even if there's people in your life that you haven't seen for 5, 10, 20 years, and you're never going to see them again in the future, at least that's your plan, that if your mind is harboring anger, hatred, and ill will for them, then that's going to hinder your enlightenment. It's going to ensure that you don't get to enlightenment because there's still anger, hatred, and ill will in there. So even though you're never going to see those people ever again, you need to uproot that and eliminate it from the mind. So you would need to include them in your meditation as you customize it. And as you do this meditation, you're going to need to do this for weeks and maybe even months in order for you to uproot certain angers or hatred or ill will that you have for people. I often share with people that when I first started doing loving kindness meditation, I used to have a certain amount of anger towards my mother for things that happened when we were a child. And I needed to go six months of meditating at least before that got uprooted and I no longer had that. And then our relationship really blossomed because now when I went around her, instead of having this anger and hostility towards her, I then had this loving kindness. And now my intention, speech and actions were improved. And then 
because we had a period of time where we didn't see each other, she was also working on herself in different ways. So then by the time that her life ended, then we ended up having a very wonderful relationship that we were very cordial and peaceful and loving with each other. We had no bitterness or hostility because I had eradicated that from my mind. She had eradicated that from her mind in relationship to me. And now we were able to meet each other in the middle without this anger and hostility. So you're going to need to do this, maybe even for yourself, for multiple weeks and months. If you currently have this inner dialogue that is hateful towards yourself, you might need to do this to eliminate your own hatred towards yourself. And I even did that for a period of time where I just used to do, may I be peaceful, may I be safe, may I be well, may I be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. And then right away, I would do it again. May I be peaceful, may I be safe. And I would go through those same four affirmations for myself, maybe two, three, four times. Then I would do, may we, may all beings, right? So you will customize this meditation as you go through your life. Different people will need to be included at different times. And you might have situations like what Iona mentioned, where something happened in the recent past, where there was a situation that occurred anger has arisen towards this individual, maybe they show up in your meditation for a few days or a week or two or three until you realize that the mind has been liberated of that anger. That's what the Buddha was talking about, liberation of the mind by loving kindness. Because as long as there's anger, hatred, and ill will in the mind, it's not liberated. It's bound up. It's polluted. It's experiencing this pollution of mind that we call ill will. So you need to liberate the mind or give the mind freedom from that because it's such a burden to carry around anger, hatred, and ill will. It really weighs down on us. So there's no benefit in us carrying that around. Oftentimes we think that that's the way to get back at this person is to hold on to our anger and bitterness. And we think that that's the way to teach this person a lesson, that we're going to go around and be bitter at them until they apologize or until they realize they were wrong in a certain situation. But this is just weighing you down as long as you hold on to this bitterness and this hostility. So by you uprooting this out of the mind, using this meditation and customizing it based on the way you need, now the mind can be free and no longer carry around that burden of the anger and hostility of having this hatred towards other beings, whether it's human beings or animals or any other beings in your life. This is the way to gradually cultivate in the mind, fill it up so that it's permeating with loving kindness. And then as you go out into the world, your intention, speech, and actions can emanate from this loving kindness. And as you heard Jan speaking, there's going to be beings in the world who are hateful and vindictive towards us, but you saw what the Buddha says, remain unaffected. And that's going to take a lot of work. Right now, you maybe can't remain unaffected because your mind isn't enlightened or you're not close to enlightenment. But as you do the work more and more and more, you will see that that becomes easier and easier, that even when people are vindictive and aggressive with us, that we can remain unaffected. And then rather than react out of anger with the mind shaken up and maybe making decisions that are more harmful, instead we can respond in this situation. And oftentimes the response to anger is just to ignore it, to walk away, to move on and beyond this. 
because if you stay in that situation where somebody's venting their anger at you, that can be a dangerous place to exist. So as soon as you see that anger and hostility, sometimes it's better to just get up and move on if that's a possible option for you. And having cultivated this loving kindness in the mind, it'll make it easier for you to then when you do choose to walk away, that you can maintain this genuine interest in seeing them be well, that you're not walking away out of anger and hostility, thinking that they're the ones who are causing your anger. Because if you understand the Four Noble Truths, if anger arises in you, even if they're aggressive and hostile first, but if anger arises in you, that's your anger. That's the anger that has arisen due to your own craving, desire, attachments. So in a situation where you choose to maybe walk away from this individual, if there's anger in the mind, you're causing that. Even though they're being hostile and aggressive, it's your craving, desire, attachment that's arising this anger. So you would like to walk away if you're going to walk away with this loving kindness, this genuine interest in seeing them be well, knowing that if there's any kind of anger or hatred that's arising in your mind, you can separate that and realize that that's for you to deal with. And it's better to be quietly frustrated and irritated rather than to be overtly angered and hostile. Because as soon as you're overtly angered and hostile to others, that's when it's going to come back to you and it's going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. So the way that you de-escalate the situation is that you don't give back anger. You can't eliminate anger by arising anger in the mind. So you've got to restrain the mind and pull it back. And the way that you can do that is through cultivating this loving kindness. But it goes hand in hand with the breathing mindfulness meditation because the whole reason why anger is arising to begin with is because of craving, desire, attachment. So that's why it's so important to build up your breathing mindfulness meditation practice and your loving kindness meditation practice. So out of those two to three sessions per day, if you're doing two sessions a day, one should be just breathing mindfulness meditation and one should be breathing mindfulness with loving kindness. If you're doing three meditations a day, maybe you have one that's breathing mindfulness, one that's breathing mindfulness with loving kindness and another that's breathing mindfulness. Or you could do two that are loving kindness or you could even do all three. It's really up to you but you're always interested in ensuring that you're practicing both of these at different times in your day, that you need to have some standalone breathing mindfulness meditation and you need to have some loving kindness meditation as well because these two are going to gradually wear away two of the primary problems that are in the mind, which is craving and anger. So let me pause and see what questions you guys have before we actually move into meditating together today. You can put your questions into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions that you might have. Yes, sir. I was wondering, is it only the emotions that we think of as anger or hatred that we should be focusing on, or should we also be doing loving kindness towards beings that we have lesser versions of those like irritation or annoyance? Yeah, if you remember right effort as part of the Eightfold Path, there's those four aspects of right effort where you prevent unwholesome qualities arising in the mind, where any unwholesome qualities that are currently in the mind, you work to eliminate those and abandon those. 
then if there's any wholesome qualities that are not in the mind, you arise those and bring those into the mind. And any wholesome qualities that are currently in the mind, you work to support those, encourage those, and don't allow them to fade. So that's what you're doing in loving kindness meditation, that anybody that you currently have loving kindness for, you would like to apply the effort in loving kindness meditation to support that, encourage that, and don't allow it to fade. And then anyone who you don't have loving kindness for or you're kind of neutral about, you would like to cultivate and bring that wholesome quality into the mind during your meditation. And by bringing in that loving kindness, you're pushing out this unwholesome root or this unwholesome quality of anger, hatred, and ill will, including those lesser versions. So if you have repeated frustration or irritation or annoyance with certain people in your life, you should include them in your meditation as well because there's some degree of this anger, hatred, and ill will. We talk about it as this strong anger, hatred, ill will. And you might be at the point in your life where you're like, I don't hate anybody. That's such a strong word to actually hate people. But that's kind of like on the spectrum of one to 10. That's like a 10. But there's also this kind of one or two where you don't hate this person, but you just kind of annoyed being around them or you're irritated when you're around them. An enlightened being isn't going to have that annoyance or that irritation around anybody. It doesn't matter what they're doing. It doesn't matter how they're functioning. It doesn't matter what they're saying. You might not agree as an enlightened being. You might not agree with someone's intention, speech, and actions, but your mind is not going to be shaken up when you don't agree with them. And when I say don't agree with them, somebody else might be hostile and aggressive, like Jan was talking about road rage and people road raging. You might not choose to do those same actions and you might not feel that that's a wise way to conduct your life, but an enlightened being is not going to be upset or angered or irritated or annoyed in any of those situations, but it takes time to get to that point. So even people who you experience this annoyance or irritation with, they should be included in your meditation because the mind is still not peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy when you're around those people because there's something that the mind's holding on to in terms of craving. And there's also this anger that's in there too, but it's this lesser version where there's this annoyance or irritation that's arising. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Also, uh, Paul Richit asks, Venerable teacher, can loving kindness be used towards work also, like for irritation towards some work or just beings? I've never used it for situation or work or something like that. You could try it and see how it goes. I've never done it that way. It's always been towards individual beings because you can't practice loving kindness towards a piece of paper or towards a computer. I mean, you can take care of your computer. You can take care of these work projects. But as a living being, that's what loving kindness is, is this active goodwill towards all living beings. But try it and see what happens, you know, see if it helps you. Uh, and then let me know because I've never actually done that before. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. It does not appear there are any more questions at this time. Okay, so let's do this. Let's go ahead and go into meditation, just like we've done in the past. And then after meditation, we'll open up to questions that you might have in terms of getting clarity on how to actually do loving kindness meditation. So we'll start this off in the same way that we started off breathing mindfulness meditation, which is 
if you're in a chair, you're probably going to be sitting on the chair with your feet either flat on the floor or cross at the ankles. If you're on the floor, you might put a cushion under your rear in order to get your rear up in the air, lessen the angles at the hips, the knees, and the ankles. And then your hands and arms should go into the lap so that they're completely relaxed. The Buddha placed his right hand over his left, and then he put his thumbs together. And then he put that into his lap. And if that's comfortable for you, then use it. But there's other options here, like putting your palms on your thighs or your knees or your arms on the armrest, whatever is comfortable. The lower body and the hands and arms should be completely relaxed without any muscles engaged. Then the upper body should be erect, not real rigid and stiff, but not really relaxed either. You would like to be in the middle where there's this erectness to the upper body. This keeps the mind attentive and alert during the meditation because you're going to be doing this work. Right? Meditation is applying effort and doing the work. It's an active, dedicated, purposeful training session. So by having the upper body erect, this keeps the mind attentive and alert during the meditation so that you can do the work. This isn't a time for us to zone out, but to be active during the meditation. Next, just close the eyes and start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Here, you just would like to establish the breath. Breathing in, in, out. Breathing in, in, out. You can stay here just working on establishing the breath. And then I'll be back with some guidance on breathing mindfulness meditation and ultimately loving kindness meditation. I'm gonna do some chanting. And those of you guys that know the chants, you're welcome to join along. And then afterwards, I'll come back with the guidance.
Establishing the breath, breathing in and out, breathing in and out. With the breath established, gradually breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Start fixating the mind on the breath, the sound of the breath, or the sensation of air moving into the nose. This is the present moment. For breathing mindfulness meditation, fixate the mind on the breath, the present moment. Breathing in, In, out. Breathing in. In, out. With the mind fixated on the breath, anytime the mind moves off the breath, cut that off and let it go and come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in and out. I'm going to be quiet now so that you can do this work in breathing mindfulness meditation. Anytime the mind moves off the breath, you cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath. Then I'll be back later with guidance on loving-kindness meditation. But for right now, just focus on the breath. Breathing in and out.
Continuing to breathe in through the nose and out through the nose. Wherever you get to your next out breath, repeat these affirmations in the mind. May I be peaceful. May I be safe. May I be well. May I be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May we be peaceful. May we be safe. free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May all beings be peaceful.
May all beings be safe. May all beings be well. May all beings be free of discontentedness in the suffering it causes. Now go back to breathing mindfulness meditation where you're just focused on the breath. Anytime the mind is off the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in. in, out.
short meditation just to get you guys familiar and acquainted with loving kindness meditation each session that we go forward in our four-part series i'll be customizing those rings and expanding our meditation but you should be practicing this at home in order to work with it get better at it you'll maybe end up coming into some challenges or some questions things that you need clarification on and that's what these classes are for also, you can post in the Facebook group, you can send a private message, or you can schedule a personal guidance session where you can get help to develop your loving kindness meditation practice. Because as I mentioned, these are the two primary forms of meditation that the Buddha taught in order for you to transform your mind. So let me see what questions, if any, that you guys might have. You can put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can raise your hand electronically and ask any questions in Zoom that you'd like. 
Yes, sir. Um, a question came to the mind. What purpose is there for us to be doing um, breathing mindfulness meditation at the beginning and at the end of our loving kindness meditation sessions? Sure. So oftentimes just going right into loving kindness meditation, which you can do if you'd like, there's no harm in doing that. But oftentimes in doing that, students find that their mind is a bit cluttered and it makes it more difficult and more challenging to really cultivate and allow this loving kindness to permeate in the mind. So the breathing mindfulness meditation at the beginning is to clear the mind of any clutter that it might be holding on to. And of course, you know, you're only going to be able to experience a certain amount of benefit with that until you cultivate your breathing mindfulness meditation more closely. But you're trying to do the best you can do to start out your loving kindness meditation with as much of a clean slate as possible. Then as you're doing your loving kindness meditation, as you heard, if you're customizing these rings and you're including people that you have anger, hatred, and ill will towards, what happens is this meditation oftentimes arises that in the mind. Because as you do those affirmations for those individuals that you have anger, hatred, and ill will towards, it might arise this anger and hatred in the mind. So what you're doing the breathing mindfulness meditation afterwards is to train the mind to let that go so that you can end the meditation with this calmness and this composure this evenness of temper and i discovered this as part of doing loving kindness meditation myself that as i would do loving kindness oftentimes i would end the meditation more angry than when i started it because i would arise this anger in the mind through trying to cultivate this loving kindness for people that I had anger for at one time. And then the way that I remedied that and fixed that is by putting the breathing mindfulness meditation at the end. You can end your meditation with having let go of that anger and hostility that might have arisen in the mind. So there's no harm in just doing loving kindness meditation and then finishing. You can do it that way. You can also do breathing mindfulness meditation first and then loving kindness meditation. And if at the end of your loving kindness meditation, you've got all this loving kindness permeating in the mind, then just let that be. There's no need to put breathing mindfulness meditation at the end of your meditation. That's there for you if you'd like to use it. And if it's beneficial for you, then use it. And you hear the reason why I suggest doing that. But you might not do that every single time, particularly as your mind becomes more and more liberated and you've got more and more loving kindness permeating in the mind after your loving kindness meditation. You're not interested in cutting that off at the end. So you can just let that continue to permeate. But if you notice and observe that there is some clutter or there's some anger that has arisen or some irritation or annoyance that has arisen during your loving kindness meditation, then you can put this breathing mindfulness meditation there at the end as a way to kind of clear the mind out and bring it back to some calmness and some composure at the end of your session. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Also, as a practitioner is deepening their practice and beginning to work on non-self view um, or personal identity view, would it be wise to then maybe change the wording a bit to say, May this being be safe. May those who are friendly with this being be safe instead of using the word I, sir. You could, but you're going to need to get to the point where as you're eliminating personal existence view, that there's going to be times where you need to use I or 
you know, my or mine, because it's just easier in common language, because the language isn't really fitting. English language, even Thai language and other languages aren't really able to fully articulate that there is no self here. So transforming the mind to realize that there is no self here and deeply understanding that this self-image and this self-identity in the mind isn't who we are as a person, that's one part of your practice. And deeply training the mind to understand that and kind of shifting the language and disassociating with that in daily life. But then as the mind is experiencing life and you're going through life, there's going to be situations where you're going to need to use the word I or mine or me. And when you say it, as long as the mind is disassociated with any kind of holding on to personal existence view, when I say this is my son, Bailan, I know he's not mine. He doesn't belong to me. Or when I refer to, you know, if I say, oh, my shirt is dirty, you know, I know it's not mine, you know, and it doesn't represent the self-image. So you'll observe how you might need to transition your language away from using some of those words as part of realizing non-self and getting to the elimination of personal existence view. But then it just becomes easier in certain aspects of life to use that when you need to. And if meditation, you would like to use it, you can. If not, if you would like to do something more about what you're using or, or potentially using, uh, you can do that. And that can be helpful for you, but don't feel like you have to. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. It does not appear there are any other questions at this time, sir. All right. Well, I'll just in class by thanking all of you for dedicating your time, effort, and energy to learn and practice these teachings, whether you're attending live or you're listening to this on one of the replays that we distribute content to, like our podcast, YouTube, and Facebook, and others. So just build this practice up more and more as you go forward. That's going to help you to gradually transition the mind away from this anger, hatred, and ill will. And remember to also continue to build up your breathing mindfulness meditation practice because you're going to need that as well. These are the only two forms of meditation that you're going to need. Every single practitioner is going to need this in order to get to enlightenment. There's some other specialized meditations that we use on a case-by-case basis, but not everyone's going to need those. So you don't need to go out and learn 50 different meditations. You can just focus on these two, get really, really good at them, and then observe how the condition of the mind is gradually improving through these meditations and then through the practice that you develop as part of the Eightfold Path and practicing the teachings in daily life. This Sunday in our group learning program, we're going to be in chapter two of this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. This is titled, Why Study Gautama Buddha's Teachings? We're going to have a really nice discussion around this topic, and I'm going to invite people in Zoom to share why have they chosen to study the Buddhist teachings, and that will be helpful for us to get to know each other more now that we're about six weeks into the program, and give you a chance to share you know some things about why you've chosen to step forward and moving towards the teachings of the buddha and then next wednesday it'll be our second class of our four-part series there i'll just kind of give you a brief little reminder about loving kindness meditation and then we're going to go right into a session and open up to any questions that you guys might have now that you can practice this between now and then so thank you all for joining i'll see you guys in a future class have a very lovely rest of your day Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.